You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word? Notice it starts out, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And notice the third time he says it, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection, with the love of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these words of encouragement and all the grace and peace that comes with it. Pour out your spirit on us today, Lord, and help us all to realize that we are yours, that we are yours in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for this truth, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, today we come to church, and I I believe that one of the great joys of coming to church is, is that we can grow in grace together, that we can learn from the Word and learn more about God and learn more about who we are. That's all wonderful. But I think that one of the problems in the church today is that when we think about church, we think about what it gives us, that we come to church to get better. But what I want to begin to challenge you with is this thought. What would it look like if we didn't just get better, but when the Lord calls us on, and whether that's in death or or moves us or whatever it is, that when we move on, we leave the church a better place. You see, it's not just about coming to church to, to get something. We are all here to make a contribution of our hearts, of our souls, of ourselves. You in Christ Jesus, let me say it again, your story, how God has changed you, is an important part of our equation. And Paul would have us grow in grace and to grow in joy so that we will have the confidence to share our story with the world. Paul's going to help us do that. If we love the church, I believe with all my heart, we will leave it healthier than when we first joined her. The church is yours, but it is ultimately Christ's. And he loves his church and he cares for her. Now, in this letter, we have Paul writing from prison. Now, I haven't spent much time in prison. I have been in prison before, but I was visiting. I was on the right side of the glass. I just want you to know. Um, But I can tell you that uh, those were disconcerting days for me, being in those places. Uh, What was most disconcerting to me was, was that when the room, the big room they brought you in to visit with everybody, was exactly like every high school cafeteria I've ever been in. So those poor souls, they, you know, if you go to jail early, you like go from high school to jail and it's exactly the same environment. Kids, be good, okay? Don't go there. 
But I, I did. I always felt a heaviness. I'm not trying to just make light of it. It was a heavy place to be, a sad place to be. I mean, if there is a place where you can kind of sing the blues, I would think that would be it. But when we get to the book of Philippians, there's no singing the blues here. There's no despondency nor gloom. There is the joy of the Lord, and we all need to ask, how is that possible? Because we, if we have a hangnail, as it were, spiritually, we can very quickly descend into doom and gloom. But here's Paul writing to the church at Philippi with joy. Now, one of the reasons why is because there were sweet memories from Philippi. Let me just refresh your memory. So Paul is heading east, and he gets this clarion call in a vision, in a dream from the Holy Spirit to go west to Macedonia. And the very first church that he goes to is in Philippi. He meets this wonderful lady, saint of God, as she becomes Lydia, seller of purple, who becomes a rock of that church. Also, we have Paul and Silas. Remember the story of them being in jail? So there's jail early on in Paul's life, and we have the first instance of jailhouse rock. You really liked that, didn't you? I, that, was, that was the classic dad joke response. Yes, all right. So anyway, they, the, 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 the house rocks literally, and Paul and Silas escape, a good memory. Uh, again, a lot of interesting things happen, but most of all, it just seems like the church at Philippi, they received the gospel very early. They were excited about it. They shared their faith, and they made a difference in their city, and that's what we're here to do today, too. It's to get excited about Jesus, share Jesus with our city, and watch God take over. So Paul was sentimental here. He loved this church. He cared for it deeply. And the church of Philippi was interesting. They were in a, in a city that was very prosperous and a city that had great civic pride. They saw themselves as like a miniature version of Rome, and they liked to brag about that. So we're going to see that Paul, throughout the book of Philippians, is constantly challenging them to think more about who they are in Christ rather than who they are in terms of a citizen of Rome. So that's an important lesson for us too. We need to be good citizens, but Paul's always urging us to think kingdom-minded, to have minds that think about souls and eternal life and heaven and hell, and we see that kind of sentiment in this book. But let's just see in the first two verses sort of a vestibule. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. In the old days, a church would have a vestibule, and it's kind of where you hung your coat. When you first walked into a little country church, there was a vestibule, and you left your coat in there, and then you'd go through another set of doors, and you were in the main building. Well, verses 1 and 2 are the vestibule. I thought that was an interesting way to do it, or to put it. Um, an old commentator called it that, and then I realized that he was really old, and I don't know that anybody knows what a vestibule is anymore, but that's what it is. It's kind of like the first part of the church, okay? But here's what's interesting. It's a great introduction to something a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better. But let me show you some fun things, some really, really good things here in the first two verses that you would miss if you just read it too fast. First, and I've already alluded to this, Jesus is the centerpiece of this letter. In those first two verses, his name and title is mentioned three times this book, if you squeeze it at any point, it's full of Jesus, and the living water flows out of it. And I believe today, church, we need to be filled with Jesus, and this book's going to do it. In fact, 37 more times at least, we see Jesus' name mentioned in the book, and it is Christ-centered, and that is helpful for us. The second thing we see is that Paul is not alone in his ministry to the Philippians. Take a look at your copy of Scripture. Let me show you a couple things. Notice Paul doesn't just write, okay, 
from his own heart, he speaks of Paul and Timothy. He's with someone in ministry. He's not alone. He speaks of servants in the plural, obviously. He speaks of the saints in the plural. Notice this in verse 1. He speaks of, in the church of Philippi, overseers and deacons. Everywhere you look, there is plurality. And I want to share this with you. Yes, I know that the way we're set up, we have a senior pastor and a main teaching pastor. That's what I do. But it is imperative for you to see that from the very beginning, strong churches do not lean on just one man, one voice, one set of gifts. We here at Ridgecrest are heavily indebted to our elders, to our pastors, to our deacons, to our our leaders in the church who are filled with the Spirit. We need each one of you being a leader in your own right. The church is successful when we are all taking ownership and leading in the way that God has called us to lead. It is all over, verses 1 and 2, that we are in this together. The third thing we see is that Christ followers see themselves as servants and others in the church as saints. Now think how dangerous that gets when you reverse it. If you think of yourself as the saint and everyone else as a servant, you're not going to be fun at parties, okay? Nobody's going to like you. Because you're going to expect people to, you know, take care of you. But it's so much better when our heart is right. And we understand that it is our honor to work with and serve with the saints of God. My joy is to serve the church. Your joy is to serve the church. And again, that gets us into that mindset where we're leaving the church a better place. We're not just thinking about what the church does for us. And I believe that's a powerful part of what Paul's saying. And finally, notice this, grace and peace are foundations of the gospel. He speaks there in verse 2 of grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've read the epistles, you see uh, that kind of salutation is often in the letters. But let me show you something very interesting about this. Remember at the beginning I said that Paul, uh, his first journey west was to the church of Philippi. He's a man of the east. I know it's hard for us to get our minds around this, but Hebrew and the Hebrew world and the Israelite world is more an eastern worldview. And so if you were in Israel in the time of Jesus and someone said hello to you, they would say shalom, peace. But as you go further west towards what we know of as Rome in history, the greeting would change. It would no longer be Um, shalom, you would get into the idea, the Greek idea of charis or grace. And so notice what Paul is doing here. He is saying, he's giving an introduction, a hello, as it were, in both the eastern and western tongue. He is saying to the church at Philippi that they are not a regional uh, phenomenon. They are part of the worldwide mission. God is at work. There is no boundary for his work. There is no limit to his power, and that's coming across in those two very simple words, grace and peace. Grace is something you can't earn, brings you peace, and something you can't buy. Those are good things, and all of these things we've talked about are just in the vestibule. Let's creep into the letter here in verse 3. Take a look at verses 3 and 4 with me, and notice where we start. We start in a place that makes a lot of sense for Philippians. We talk about joy. In Christ, we have joy The enemy cannot steal. Now, I think it's garden variety preaching for me to say, well, in Philippians, it talks a lot about joy. Anybody that preaches through the book of Philippians is going to hit on that topic of joy. It is a major part of the book. 
And when we start talking about joy, true spiritual joy, I'm not talking about some fleeting kind of happiness. I'm talking about the deep joy of the Lord. We all know that we should have it and that we should have more of it. In fact, I said to the first crowd today, I said, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm getting on to you because you're not smiling enough or you're not, you know, you don't seem to be happy enough in Jesus. And, and that's true. I would like to see the church more um, joy-filled, you know, living uh, like they believe this stuff is true. That is absolutely one of the passions of my heart. But listen, I need to be honest with you about why it is. It's not that you're just a bad person and you don't want to be joy-filled. The issue is we realize that joy is something that we can have, but it's also something that the enemy can steal. And it's something that, that as we're going through life, and life can be hard, and we can have very difficult days, if our hearts aren't guarded, that joy is the first casualty. It's the first thing that gets pickpocketed from your soul is your joy. So think of it this way. If our joy isn't Jesus-centered, Satan can steal it. And that should force us to ask the question, well, how do I safeguard my joy? And I think verses 3 and 4 are telling us that the only way to keep joy Jesus-centered is to be prayer-centered. What a perfect segue for what we're doing and asking you to sign up uh, for a week of prayer. If joy is lacking... That means possibly that Satan has been pilfering, and the only way to keep him from stealing is to get serious about prayer. Look at verse 4. It's very evident. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There is no mistaking the fact that Paul is connecting prayer and joy, and he does this all over the place in his letters. We see it in the first chapter of Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, evidently not 1 Timothy, and then Philemon. So we have all these different mentions and instances where joy is there and prayer, prayer as a key element to what we do. So when we think about the inconsistencies in our lives, we need to realize that many times the lack of joy is because we've been spiritually vulnerable. So let me put it to you this way. Do do you lock your door at night? Yes. I mean, if you leave your car in a parking lot, do you lock it up? Most of us do. I forget sometimes. It does happen from time to time. But if you do that enough, you're going to have a problem. So just let me say this to you. If you are lacking joy, I'm telling you, what you've not done is locked up your heart tight enough with prayer. You need to get more serious about prayer because that is one of our best defenses against the enemy. Every prayer you pray puts a lock on your heart that keeps the devil out. In fact, you need to realize that you don't have enough time not to pray more. Now, let me give you a quote from Martin Luther that backs that up. He says, I have so much work to do that I cannot get through it with less than three hours of prayer. Now, I wanted to give you that famous Luther quote because it's so counter-rational to the way we think. We think we're so busy, even in ministry. Those of us who have a lot going on in ministry, sometimes we think that that busyness is an adequate replacement for prayer. And Luther's comment here tells us it's just the other way around. One of the reasons why we may not serve with joy and we may not serve with any spiritual power is because we are not prayed up and prepared for the work of ministry. Prayer and joy go together. 
And it's awesome because when that prayer life is undergirding our joy, it causes our joy to grow. So it doesn't just guard it, it grows it. The joy of the Lord is cultivated in the garden of prayer. I want you to get that idea in your mind. That not only does prayer safeguard the joy that's already there, but it helps the joy that is already there blossom and mature, like that graphic we saw a moment ago. It grows into something useful and beautiful and helpful. That is why this week of prayer, I can't say it enough, we need to be on our knees, church, because in Christ we have joy that the enemy cannot steal, and we have to be strong in the Lord, and we have to pray, and we have to pray in private, and we need to pray with our fellow saints. This is so important. Over the years, I've noticed that it seems like people, depending on their personality, some people are really good at private prayer, like in their prayer closet, they are mighty, and then there's other people that seem to be a little stronger in like a prayer meeting setting where they're praying with other people to three or more. Here's the deal. They're both necessary and needful. And wherever you're weak, the only way to fix it is to practice it. Work harder at at praying uh, to the Lord every day in those moments that you have alone. But also seek out, look for those opportunities to pray with one another. Revival is going to come to our church when we balance this out, where we are praying and filling ourselves with joy in such a way that is private and with our fellow saints. So let me give you just three ideas here to sum up these two verses and how we can keep more joy in our lives. I'm telling you, that's something that I think is very helpful. We, we all know we need joy, so how do we keep that joy in our lives? First, Make memories worth remembering. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. One of the touching elements of this book is that Paul has history with these people. They have served the Lord together. They have memories together that they can lean onto and into. They had served the Lord in the power of the Spirit. So let me just say, one of the great joys of being in the church together is that we can make great memories together. There are great memories that we can make as we serve the Lord together. When we're in the trenches together, that's one of the awesome opportunities we have as the church The second thing, and this has been said many, many different ways over the years, but catch this. Before you talk to people about God, speak to God about people. We know the last few weeks we've been talking about neighboring, and, you know, I've had, last week I said um, I didn't, I I hadn't had any emails, and so guess what I got this last week? I got emails. Um, And they were, they were actually incredible they were very encouraging, and they were very helpful for me as, as we began to, to think about this. And, and what I realized was is that as we start talking about sharing the gospel with people, obviously the devil's going to bring up our fears, and, and I've got a ton of them. The emails weren't really about that, but, but you know, it does. We, we start to say, okay, what, what, how, do we, how do I do this? What, what does it look like for me to share the gospel with my neighbors? Well, here's the deal. Before you go talk to your neighbors about God, You need to talk to God about your neighbors. He will give you words and wisdom and comfort and strength. Listen, we're not asking you to do this by yourself. We believe the Holy Spirit is going to be with you wherever you go, even until the end of the world. Isn't that what the Great Commission tells us? You are not alone in sharing the gospel, but you have to be connected to God in prayer. 
The third thing I see in these first few verses is that when joy from heaven fills us, the sorrows of this world cannot take it away. The world can only take away the joy it gives us. Now, we have to be careful with that last one because there are times when our hearts are deeply broken in this world, that we are facing um, some, some darkness in this world, and I don't want to put that down, but the joy of Jesus should be so deep in your heart that whatever happens in this world, there is something in you anchoring you to that heavenly reality. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person or a lesser Christian if you're in a time of grief or weeping. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that the enemy can put a dent in you, but he can't take you down when it's joy from the Lord that's in your heart. That's why we have to feed our hearts on the joy of the Lord. And we have to realize that all the joys of this world, they have a shelf life, they are limited, and they can be robbed from us very quickly by the enemy. But what Jesus is offering you is a joy that remains. John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's what Jesus wants for you. If Jesus is in you, his joy should be too. Second point, verses five and six, in Christ we have vision extending all the way to heaven. Now there's a little eye chart up there. If any of you can read that bottom line, you are amazing. You are a superhero. Um, obviously, as we get older, our vision starts to get a little more cloudy. We can't see as far. We can't see as sharply as we did before. But I want to say this to you. As our eyesight dims with our age, I believe it's possible for our spiritual sight to grow sharper and sharper. If we are in Christ, I believe we can see all the way to heaven. Now, let me say why this is important. We need to be able to see all the way to heaven because if we look too long at what's going around us in this world, we will grow in our fear. And I'm here to tell you, fear is such a paralyzing power. We cannot have the joy of the Lord if our eyes are just focused on all of the things that are going on in the world. I've, I've said this, that it just seems like those who soak in too much of the daily news, the news of each day, it is hard to find joy because the news thrives on problems, on tension. And I'm here to tell you, we need to be aware of that. I think it's important for us to know what's going on in the world, and we need to be able to speak to those things in the world. But be careful how much of that diet you consume, because it is easy to focus on the problems and get your eyes off of heaven. If you look at verses 5 and 6, some interesting things. He speaks of the partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. Once again, there is a, a connection here with partnering with other people in Jesus. But notice, it's not just in the moment. It's not ministry just today. Our togetherness in the gospel has a, a, an application day by day, but we also have an application until the end of time. And that someday we're going to be in heaven. And so what we need to realize is our partnership, what we're doing in serving Jesus together, it's not just about what we do in this world in this moment. But the joy of serving the Lord is, is that we're able to connect with people in an eternal way. Because everything in this world, this universe, has an expiration date. But your soul doesn't. And the souls of everybody that you're going to encounter today and every day, the rest of your life, are souls that are going to spend forever with God or apart from Him. 
And the partnership we have in the gospel is one where we are able to have an eternal perspective, that our vision can see the light of heaven, that what is guiding us in life is not just the light of reason or knowledge, but the light of heaven. We believe that heaven is a real place, and we want people to go there. We share the gospel so that the joy of Jesus, the joy of salvation, can come to others. And verse 6 is a great verse a great verse for today. And, and I want to I tread lightly here. There are people who believe that salvation is something that I can have it, and then if I sin, I can lose it. That's a, a point of disagreement between denominations. But I want to just draw your attention to verse 6 and make a few comments to encourage you today. Uh, the enemy wants you to believe that you are hopeless and lost. If on any day he can make you feel like you're apart from God, he is winning. But notice verse 6. Paul is confident. I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've been going through a difficult season in your life, if you have felt distant from the Lord, one of the things the enemy likes to do is to try to trick you into believing that you either had something and lost it or never had it. But let me say this. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave and he did those things to deliver us from sin and to give us eternal life, if you have that faith down deep in your heart, I want you to know that is a foundation to build on. And it's not my thoughts or your thoughts that matter. It's the word of God. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus died for your sins, and that is enough. He is sufficient in every way. You are not sufficient. If it was up to you, and if it was all about you, you would have lost it. But it's about Jesus. Trust in him, follow him, and know this. You may have a couple of back steps, but in the end, in the day of the Lord, he will bring it to completion. Let me say this, we just don't have time to sit around and worry about the foundational element of our salvation. If the church, all it does is wonder every day, if it's the people in the church are wondering every day if they're saved, how can they serve? How many sins does it take to lose this gift? I'm telling you, it's the gift of God from God. It's for you. Embrace it and build your life on the sure foundation of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Build on that. Believe it. God will do great things in you. He started it. He will finish it. That's the question. If you started your faith, well, you're probably going to be finished sooner or later. But Jesus started it. And Jesus will bring it to completion. That is security. And we have security in Christ. I think Paul is telling us that specifically in verse 6. And then finally, in verses 7 and 8, in Christ we love one another in spite of circumstances. It's interesting. We need to have the foundation of security in our faith because we are going to face some circumstances in this world that are difficult. There are challenges we face as believers. We do not get a free pass. It is hard to be strong and consistent in our faith in a fallen world. I want you to think about this with me. I've, I've given it a lot of thought as, as I've, um, not just in the recent weeks and months, but for a long time. I mean, how do we gauge where we are in our faith? How do we measure uh, where we stand before Christ? I mean, obviously, we would like to measure it on our good days, right? Like, like we're on a mission trip or something. Okay, I'm an A for Jesus, A plus uh, grade there. But I'm telling you, I think we need to really look at our, 
our walk with the Lord on those more difficult days. I was talking to my daughter, it's been a couple of years ago, back when she was uh, doing some musicals, and I was kind of watching, you know, these kids, they were every night singing, and you know, it's one thing, like my voice tomorrow, uh, you know, when I go get my coffee at Travelers tomorrow, you know, it'll sound like I've got like this deep, you know, wonderful baritone voice. No, it's just my throat sore because I've been yelling too much at you people. I'm sorry, I do apologize for that. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, we show that video now, it's kind of like, I, I yell at you at the beginning, I yell at you in the middle, I yell at the end, sorry about yelling. But I was asking my daughter, I'm like, how do you do that? Because, I mean, your throat can only do so much. And she said, you know, um, the people that she had talked to, the people that are, like, um, really big into this and maybe on Broadway, things like that, you know, it's really hard to, to have your, your best voice every day. In fact, it's almost impossible. Even the really great singers out there, they would say that only every once in a while is their voice strong and at its best. Most of the time, you just sing, and you sing where you're at. You see where your, your range is, and you go with it. And, and I thought about that as I was talking to her about, about singing, and I realized that that's gospel grace. That's the, that's the call of ministry. There are very few days when our voice is solid, when our mind is sharp, where we are in the right place at the right time, where it just seems like we can do no wrong. Those days come maybe every once in a while, but they're very rare. The most important thing is, is can you sing the song of Jesus when your heart is heavy? Can you sing the song of Jesus on the cloudy day? That's the key. You have to keep singing even if you don't feel uh, perfect, even if you don't feel right, even if your voice feels weak. I think some of us are waiting for like this perfect moment where we figure it all out. Then we'll be a great witness for Jesus. Listen, your broken, sharp edges, the, 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 the part of you that's not the best is often what relates most with lost people. When you've got it all figured out and polished over and polished up, most people are just going to go, eh, nah. That, that, that just seems too easy, or they seem too unreal. That doesn't seem real to me. That seems packaged. Do you realize your story in all of its rough edges is maybe your greatest witness? And you need to realize that and embrace it. Just keep singing the song of Christ. Those who have had their heart set free by Jesus have a song. Not all of us have a Broadway voice, but we all, if we have a voice, we need to let that voice be heard. Because Jesus is worth it. And one day, all of our voices in heaven will be perfect. Until that day, even with an imperfect voice, please share Jesus. Paul could have had a tune here as he was writing to his friends in Philippi. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be with them. He could have been a woe is me kind of Christian here. But all we get is love. This is a man who had dwelt with, with the Lord for a long time. He had spent a lot of time in prayer. And so let me say this. The more you know the heart of God, the more you will be able to care for the hearts of others. This is interesting. The more we grow, whether it's theologically or grow in how we're serving people, it's just amazing. The more we know God, the better we get. And that's, that's awesome. It's not about getting better for your sake. But you're growing in grace so that you can serve other people. Notice the language here in verse 7 of emotion. Paul is a rational, right-thinking kind of guy. He says, it's right for me, though, to feel this way about you all. This is a letter filled with feeling. He had such a beautiful view of Jesus, and, and that joy that he had, he's sharing that. He wants them to feel the love of Jesus. And I believe if Christ is your true north, then your love will never lose its way, even when you're having difficult days, even when 
those challenging days come. At the beginning of our time together, we talked about the first two verses as being sort of a vestibule. Um, some of the most beautiful churches in the world are in Europe. And, and years ago, as, as uh, the Missouri Baptist Convention started a partnership in Italy, I had the, the privilege of, of being in northern Italy, and we would go into churches. And so now when I take groups there, we go into a lot of churches, and my wife says she never wants to go into another one of those churches again. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it just amazes me that before heavy equipment that uh, men could build such things. But in some of those cathedrals, there was one in particular. I think it's a basilica. And it was, a, it was a, a, a place that I didn't even take the team this last time. But I had read a lot about it. It's a very famous place. It has a, a, a ton of history involved in it. And I remember walking into it and into the vestibule, and it was just like black walls. There was no ornamentation. There was very little there. And I was like, I know this place is like world famous, so what's going on? Not, not, a, not a lot there at first glance. And then I took one step, and my eyes went up. And I saw this beautiful expanse, these flying buttresses, these, these, these wonderful works of art. And, but I, my feeling, my memory is, is that I immediately just looked up, and, and it, it drew my whole countenance up. That's what Philippians does. Not just these first few verses, but the whole book. It's lifting our eyes up to see how beautiful Jesus is. And I know every one of you in this room that's a believer in Jesus, I know you love Jesus, but when's the last time you were just uh, knocked, uh, you know, just he knocked your socks off, that you were just overawed by him? When was the last time that you just knew you were in the presence of your Savior? And I think from time to time, we need to have that experience where we go from that little uh, nondescript kind of place in our lives to just boom, looking up, and there he is, and Jesus is filled with joy and power and love, and we remember how great he is. And if you've been a person that for a long time, it's just felt like the world is close around you, that, that your faith is in this black box, and you, and you really can't see beautiful things. Listen, that happens from time to time. It's okay, because if you'll just keep moving forward, the the door will open and Jesus will remind you how awesome he is. Everything is yours in Christ Jesus. He loves you. And that's what Philippians is going to remind us of. And if you've lost your way, Christian, it's okay. It's okay. There's joy that Jesus is offering you. But let me just say this. If you're here today and your story doesn't seem to have a happy ending and there isn't an eternal hope, if the joy I've talked about sounds good but it sounds distant, then there's only one way to fix this, and that is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Come to Christ. Let him lift your eyes up to see how incredible he is. Whatever your heart is lacking can be found and is yours in Christ Jesus. This altar is just the first step toward joy for you. Please come take that step. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.